whether you read every day or haven't finished a book in years, chances are there's at least one book you've kept with you for a long, long time. Something about the main character or the setting or maybe just the time in your life you discovered it. I want to know more about that. My name is Malavika Prasid, and this is Your Favorite Book. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Your Favorite Book podcast. I'm your host, Malavika. Our goal here is simple. Each episode, I talk to a guest about their favorite book, and then we settle in for a good old-fashioned book discussion. Likes, dislikes, we might agree, we might disagree. Who the hell knows? So for our first ever episode, joining me today is my friend, Bailey Williams. Hi, Bailey. Hi. Oh my gosh, I feel so honored. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure having you on today. And so for everybody listening, um, Bailey, you want to introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. So hi, I'm Bailey. Um, I've been Malavika's friend since college. So for a few years now. And I'm just happy to like be on here and talk about books because most of the time our book rants aren't public. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And this is a way to sort of make these book rants a little more public for better or for worse. So, yep, like Bailey said, uh, we met in college. Basically, her best friend was my now husband's roommate. And we all just became a lovely group of friends, all sorts of memories. And post-college, it's been one of the great friendships I've had the pleasure of holding on to. So it's really awesome that we're still in touch and that we're going to talk about books this way. I told my friends and told other people in my life about this podcast idea. And I said, you know, we're going to talk about favorite books and leave it to Bailey to not give me a book, but give me a short story from 1910. <laughs> 1906. Thank you. <laughs> ah, see, you know, we've already just started and my data is all off. <laughs> It's really funny, though, because I always feel bad telling people this is my favorite book because, like you said, it's a short story. And you know this. I read a ton. So I actually read a lot of books that are, like, really long and stuff. But this one, I'm just like, this is my favorite. <laughs> and and that's the fun of it. I want to know, basically, the whole point of this show is to know why something is your favorite. What makes that stick with you? Um, what sort of impact it's had on you? And that's the fun part of it. And it's like, you know... People have, you know, your usual favorite books, but this one is so unique. I was so excited to talk about this. So for all of you that aren't the two of us, the story (laughs) we're talking about today is Pigs is Pigs by Ellis Parker Butler. Um, And this is a really short, when we say it's a short story, I, when I printed this off, it was about seven pages long. Like this is a pretty short story. And a pretty fun one, too. So essentially, I'm going to give you a brief rundown. Um, This is a short story in which um, there is a railway agent working at a station. They receive packages. There is a package with two guinea pigs. And when someone comes to pick up the pigs, there is a fee involved. And the whole conflict boils down to whether you charge the fee for pigs or the fee for pets and guinea pigs to these people involved just sort of sits right in the middle there. And so then the shenanigans begin. So Bailey, before we like start talking about this proper, I guess I have to ask you, 
how did you find this? Like, when did this all start for you? So um, every year, my family actually, obviously, like, not recent since I've moved out, but when I was still in high school and middle school, every year we'd go to the mountains of North Carolina, get a cabin, we'd just sit out there, and that would be, like, our main vacation of the year. Well, up in that town, um, it's over in uh, Cold Mountain, North Carolina, which is um, even further west than Asheville. If anyone knows where North Carolina is, that's no, um, pretty much this, the middle of nowhere. Is this the Cold Mountain from the Cold Mountain movie and stuff, or is this a different Cold Mountain? That's a good question. I've never put the two together. It might be. I don't know. <laughs> I guess we'll um, find that out later. But if anyone yeah. knows listening, let us know. Please do, because I've never put two and two together. That'd be really interesting. (laughs) But it's like, it's middle of nowhere. Like a lot of the towns there are super, super small, which means they have a lot of great little tiny, um, like hole in the wall shops. And one of those shops, because we do window shopping. And while my mom and my sister go and like wander around and look at all the like cute consignment and clothing stores that are there, me and usually my dad, because when you're in middle school, one of the parents gets stuck going with you somewhere (laughs) um because my dad likes history he'd take me over to the bookstore and their bookstore when I say it was small I mean like my current apartment which is a one bedroom is bigger than this uh, this uh, bookstore was if not exactly that size um they had books all the way to the ceiling and piles on the floor the lady who's worked there I swear she is old as time herself and just as wise (laughs) as that too because she like literally like he'll be like hey do you have a book on this and then she'll go and then like the whole place is a maze because they ran out of space so it's so tiny it's really just like endless curves of piles of books and she'll just reach into a a, like mound on the ground and pull out the book that you're asking about or one related to it it's like how did you know that was there but so she didn't need like a catalog or anything she just knew no they weren't organized in any way like libraries at least have like the whole serial number thing they were literally just piles of books on like little bookshelves and big bookshelves I have no idea how she knew where everything was oh my gosh that's crazy yeah but because my mom likes to shop and my sister likes to shop and neither me nor my dad really enjoy traditional shopping while they're spending hours wandering up and down looking at all the cute little like clothing stores we'd spend hours in the bookstore and when you spend hours in a bookstore that's really tiny and just I, I wish you could go there, Malvika, because you'd love it, too, because it smells like old I'm books, sure. and it's just amazing. Oh, I love and it. I'd, like, dig through stuff, and you just find so many cool things. And this was one of the books I found there um, in one of the random piles. It was actually in a, I remember, because it was in a box that was, like, labeled $1 books, or it, it wasn't even $1 books. It was, like, for a dollar, you got five of them, because they're all so old and falling apart. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> And I don't know if you've seen my copy of Pigs as Pigs. Literally in the cover, it says first edition, six print. It is old as time itself, too. Oh, my um, gosh. Yeah, it's falling apart. I need to get it rebound. <laughs> but um, it literally was just sitting there. And I saw the cover, these little guinea pig things. And I was like, I like guinea pigs. <laughs> That's a cool <laughs> title. <laughs> so literally just an impulse purchase. You just saw it and you're like, oh, this is fun. And then this ended up really making an impact on you. Right. Especially, it was really a luck of the draw thing because my parents very early on um, would give me a limit for how much I could spend at bookstores because I started hoarding books. <laughs> uh, I, so my I get limit, 
Yeah, my limit was like $10. And I see a book, uh, a pile where it's like, you get five for $1. Of course, I'm taking like most of the books in there <laughs> and like armfuls. And then they had to lower it to being like, okay, you get $5, Bailey. And so I'm, I'm curious. So you found this book at this used bookstore. And um, so since you found it, have you come back to it multiple times? Like how has this book been different for you over the years? So when I first read the book, I actually thought it was kind of like, like it was more of a like a nostalgic thing, like remembering going on, um, going to like the mountains with my family. And I thought it was cute. And I remember reading it there. My version's like 30 something pages. But like you said, you can print this if you print it in normal, like writing in about like seven. Mm -hmm. So it's a really short read, maybe takes you 30 minutes, if that. So now I've started reading it, like, whenever I'm sad or I'm anxious, it's just become, like, a nice, like, happy story. Like, some people watch, like, a, a very specific Netflix, like, like some people watch The Office when they're sad because they think that that's funny. You know, I was going to say The Office is, like, a comfort view. And so you have this, like, ancient short story about <laughs> guinea pigs. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. <laughs> Yeah, because without it's just such a silly story and such a vast read. Like this, no one can read about two grown men arguing about guinea pigs that are just reproducing exponentially and freaking out over that and still be sad. Like, I'm sorry. Like, if you can do that, I have not met the person because I've literally told this story to so many of my friends who are sad. Because like, like, I literally have a few friends who are like, oh, like let's tell stories when they're like sad or whatever. Um, specifically, my friend group from high school. And I've told everyone in that friend group at least twice this story. And by the end, we're dying laughing because it's just so ridiculous. <laughs> and that actually leads right into what I was going to say. Um, how does this book go over when you recommend it to people? Like, how do people usually react? So it, um, it comes, okay. So everyone, like, everyone I've ever recommended it to has been like, oh, this is cute. I like this. No one's been like, oh, this is awful. How dare you make me read it? Also, you, if, even if you did, you once again only lose like 30 minutes of your life. It's fine. Right. But, but also, usually the response I get is I tell people, hey, this is my favorite book. And they're like, oh, cool. I'll go check it out. Because I forget to tell them, hey, it's also a short story and barely a read. Um, and then they look it up and you can find copies of it on Google. And they're just like, Bailey, what? Because <laughs> they're expecting <laughs> me to say something that's like, more like I guess they expect me to say something deeper or whatever especially the people I, I've known like for a really long period like in college you knew me and knew that I read but I significantly decreased the amount I was reading in high school and college like middle right. school for example I read I kid you not almost every single day of the school year like I finished yeah. books every single day the librarian straight up told me we're not recording how many books you take just return them because you got sick of <laughs> doing the paperwork of keeping track <laughs> They'd need like a whole catalog just for you or like your own spreadsheet or something. I was like that too in middle school, like just constantly taking books out of the library because we couldn't just get enough. I mean, I mean, we had TV and we had like things to do, but there was something about reading back then. And I feel like I've only started getting back into it like recently as an adult. There was just this like lull in high school and college where I just didn't read as much. Yeah, for me, it was definitely a time thing because like, in college, also, it doesn't help. Like, high school, it was like a, ah, I kind of got out of it. But college, it's like, I wanted to read, but I just didn't have time. Or I had readings that I had to do that 
took precedence over the things I wanted to just read for fun. So I literally had to set goals for myself of like, hey, every semester you have to read at least three books, which sounds so minimalistic from someone who was reading every day. But with all the other schoolwork and stuff piling on, like that was like a good accomplishment for me. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I, so fun fact about me, I majored in English in college for anybody who might be listening to this who doesn't know me. I majored in English in college and somehow I read now, I read more now than I did then. Like probably because there were so many books assigned that I just didn't really read, but. <laughs> <laughs> don't tell the professors. <laughs> I don't think they're listening. But anyway, um, so back to Pigs is Pigs. So you've recommended this before people have liked it people are you know a little surprised when you say this is your favorite so I kind of want to like dig into this story a little bit I mean there's a little limit to what you can dig into in such a short story but upon reading this a few times and looking into a few things I found lots of stuff that we can talk about so let's get into this so the first thing that you know really stood out to me here is that the so the um, railway seller Flannery, he's sort of our main figure that we follow through the story, and the guy who had ordered the pigs, Mister Morehouse, they're essentially arguing over ten cents. Like this whole fight is over ten cents because the pet cost, if you say that guinea pigs are pets, is like twenty five cents, and then if you say they're pigs, it's sixty cents. So since there's two of them, they're literally arguing over 10 cents. And I know this was like the early 20th century, but like how much of a difference could 10 cents have made that all of this ruckus would have been started? You want to hear something even worse? What? So one day, because I got bored while reading this book, I actually priced it out and I double checked today. Someone probably needs to double check my math because I'm not great at math. But anyway, I looked up the conversion rate for um, the what. Uh, what a dollar's equivalent in 1906, which is when my version was printed, would have mm-hmm. um, cost. And a dollar in 1906 converted to like our amount here was uh, was $28.64. Oh, and wow. I was just like, okay, so that's $28. But then you realize for both of the guinea pigs, not just one, but both of the guinea pigs, um, uh, Flannery was trying to charge $60, right? Because it was like 60 cents. Sorry, yeah. 60 cents. 60 cents. And that turns into about $17. And then if you went with the other guys, it was like $14. <laughs> so they're fighting over right. three bucks. Yeah, it's the most ridiculous. Like, and keep in mind, like, the most, the thing that makes me the most mad about this is first off, it's $3. Like, okay, that's just. I guess you could argue principle of the thing, but what makes me really mad about this has nothing to do with their argument, but the fact of the matter is I went to PetSmart the other day looking at guinea pigs, because I love guinea pigs. Their guinea mm-hmm. pigs are like $37, 35 for one. <laughs> and, and that's the thing, I don't think they actually multiply as fast as how they do in this. So out of curiosity, similarly, I was looking into this. I looked up the gestational period of a <laughs> guinea pig. And basically, they say like a guinea pig's gestational period is about two months long. And so like, that's not super short. I mean, but still like, it's not like compared to like a human's almost 10 months. But still like, this story definitely takes place over a much shorter period of time than two months, at least from what I was gathering. I could be wrong on this. It seems that way. But um even if it was like over two months, like there's no way the guinea pigs can multiply that fast. Yeah, it was just, 
it's one of those things like, oh, rabbits are um, constantly like reproducing. I guess they just chose guinea pig for this specific story. But it's yep. just absurd. I, I thought, because like um, one of the things is the guy like moves and stuff. Huh. Maybe he was gone like years through like paperwork process and stuff. But maybe, even, if, like, yeah. you, even if you say like maybe a year, because there's no reference in a change of seasons. But let's mm-hmm. pretend it's a year or even like six months. The other guinea pigs that they produce would have to mature, like reach sexual maturity to make more guinea pigs. <laughs> right, right. It's not the same two that keep multiplying like this. Right. Um, like, because they're acting like it's exponential. Like, the two guinea pigs have six, and then those six guinea like, keeps going on. And it's like, <laughs> wait a second. Are, how are these newer guinea pigs multiplying? Because, like, at one point in time, it's like, Oh, I in the time it's taking me to write this, five hundred more were born or some crazy number like that. <laughs> Absolutely, and it's it's funny too because at first you you're hearing about this squabbling over you know ten cents or three dollars in today's money, and at first I'm like, well, Flannery's just trying to do his job. It's Morehouse that really should be like not fighting this so much over ten cents. But I realized. Neither of them are the villain here. The villain is just bureaucracy. Yeah. This is just a whole story of how like red tape and bureaucracy hold the whole world back. Like the number of telegrams, the number of meetings, the number of arrangements that had to be made to figure this out with all of the grunt work being put on Flannery to feed all these guinea pigs all their cabbages. Like the government or the railway station, I'm calling it the government, but they govern this whole thing. They're the real enemy here. Let's fight, let's fight the real enemy. 100%. And that's one of the things that I really liked. Um, Cause I know, I know you've watched Disney's animated short of it. Um, yes. Which we're going to talk about for sure. Yeah. I won't get too much into it so we can get into it later, but that's one of the things that um, compared to the animation, I did like the book a lot more in that regard. Because the book, it, um, you can see, like, so, like, in my version of it, because in book form, like, pages and pages and pages spent, like, oh, they passed this here, and then that lady pursed her lips and then wrote this here, which was set here, which was set back. Like, so much of the book is actually dedicated to the bureaucracy of, like, them sending it back and forth, and then him getting so frustrated, being like, can't you guys come to a decision? Like, they're multiplying, like, trying to work through that. But, mm-hmm. There, you also have to think, like, one of the things that I have a problem with the bureaucracy of it is they're wasting so much money with all yes. this other stuff. Because if you think about the cabbages, like, he said the ca- like the cabbages he um, priced out at being, um, for, like, the first part of it when he's still holding them and the other guy's still communicating also with them, it's something, he comes to, the, he goes to his house and he knocks on the door and he's just like, hi, I, um, he, and the guy's like, oh, so you've come to bring me my guinea pigs. And he's like, no, I brought you your second bill. And he's like, what, a second bill? And he's like, yes, because they're eating so much cabbage, you have to pay for the cabbage. And the cabbage <laughs> bill at that time, we're not even counting at the very end. I don't even want to know what that number is. But at that right. time, it was $2.25, which is $64. The guinea pigs were seven, were seven, like in today's money, like or even their money, it's like the guinea pigs were 60 cents. And the cabbage right. was $2.25. Like, yeah, like literally the cabbage costs four times the amount of two guinea pigs, which is ridiculous. Right? <laughs> which is, and, and I love how it's like, he just slams the door in his face. Like, I was thinking, oh, it's just $2 or whatever. And then I, once again, write it down. I was like, all right, you pay like 30 bucks for a guinea pig. 
or two guinea pigs, sorry. And then someone knocks on your door and tells you, not only do you owe the $30 for the guinea pig, but you owe an extra $60 for the cabbage. I'd be mad too. <laughs> yeah, I'd be, I'd be hella mad. And it's funny you focus on like the wasting of money. I was also thinking like the wasting of time and resources. Yeah. So to give you some background, so at my job, they had us do these courses, sort of these like CEU courses. And one of the course organizations is Lean Six Sigma, which is essentially like organizational training on like reducing waste. And I won't get into all of their, you know, principles. Some of it's pretty cool, but they basically talk about, you know, finding the fastest way from point A to point B, you know, minimizing the number of steps that the customer doesn't actually see. And it's like, I want these like Lean Six Sigma people to like come in and reform this whole railway station because the number of like <laughs> forms and, and I know we're going to get into the movie later. And it's like, while the movie doesn't show like the sign, everything being signed and stamped, the way it does in the book, they do, you know, set it to music a little bit and they show sort of that assembly line process where <laughs> nothing's actually getting done. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just thinking like, this would not fly today, but it still does. I mean, it just doesn't look as comical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not in colors that cute Disney music, but even with my right. job and I'm not even in some, like I'm, I'm a software engineer and I do development. Like you would think, okay, you just code something and then pass it on to someone and then it's not your problem. But even getting like my projects and stuff approved with my work, like you have to contact one person and then they give you the okay. Then you go to another person and they have to contact someone else to be given permission to give us the okay. And once we get the okay from them, like you just do this long, it literally takes like months to get anything approved just for me to type in like three lines of code to get something up and running not even like pushed out the client and it's yes like, you it's like it's an age-old problem <laughs> i feel i know like how do you actually get any work done right <laughs> and so like before we get to the movie the two of us have been hinting at the movie for a bit and i know we're going to talk about that the other thing i wanted to look into is out of curiosity i had never heard of this author before so i looked him up a little bit to see you know is there anything interesting i could find and he's not super well known but i found a few tidbits so ellis parker butler um he was uh born in 1869 he lived till about 1937 and this was the funny part that kind of made me upset and you know envious So he was never a full-time writer. He was a banker for most of his career. But apparently as a part-time writer, he somehow wrote 2,000 short stories and 30 books. Yep. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) I'm like, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm aspire to be a writer I'd love to I've written a handful of short stories. I'm working on a novel. It's one of the things I do in my spare time. And, you know, I just can't fathom writing this much you know they didn't have computers like he's probably writing it all on paper with a little type I don't think even even had typewriters I don't know probably just paper and not only that like he was published in magazines along with Mark Twain and F. Scott Fitzgerald this man was like really making it big in some circles and like all by doing this in his spare time and somehow pigs is pigs is what he's most known for but he's written like so much other stuff and like the funny thing is like first I did notice crazy number of short stories I remember checking that like way back when because I was like oh I wonder if he's written anything else I like um uh, but how did he do this possibly I could the only thing I could 
possibly picture is he just as a banker, which I don't think at that time, I feel like bankers at that time were like way more involved because everything was more by hand and not like computerized. But I just picture right. him sitting at his desk like, oh, nothing to do today. So for the whole day, just pushing out like 20 short stories. <laughs> I mean, probably. And I, I looked him up and he has a lot of stories with like recurring characters. Apparently Flannery is a recurring character in some of his stories. Mm-hmm. Like he's sort of this like jovial rule following Irishman. That's just sort of his trope and that's one of the fun things if you actually read this book on paper like they've got a lot of takeoffs at the Irish with like his specific dialect that he's written in and things like that which is like oh huh, I don't know if this is racism but it's some sort of you know <laughs> poking fun at this group of people but um so Flannery's one of his characters I think I didn't write down the exact name so I could be wrong but his most famous character was some man named Philo Gubb what? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's right. Philo Gubb, and there's like 50 stories starring Philo Gubb. Um, I could be wrong on this, so if there's any Ellis Parker Butler experts in the audience, <laughs> like please correct me. But I just remember laughing at the name Philo Gubb for a while. I didn't know too much about him otherwise, but I just thought that was kind of interesting. And so um, then we come to the other part, which is the movie. And so as Bailey and I mentioned, there was a Disney short film adaptation of Pigs is Pigs. It was actually one of a few adaptations that had been made previously. There were some in like the early 20th century, but then this Disney adaptation was made in 1954 and you can find it on YouTube. It's pretty easy to, to locate. It's about a 10 minute long short film and essentially it has that classic sort of 50s animation style where like the people are moving and it's their feet that are doing all the moving and it's got, you know, some of those classic character designs, very colorful. If you've seen like, you know, some of those old Looney Tunes, like you kind of get the style involved here. And I don't know, I thought it was pretty cute. I thought it contextualized a couple of things. So I think the main thing is, you know, we were talking about how they're squabbling over 10 cents. And in the short film, they really characterize Flannery, the railway seller, as this like stickler for rules. And so like that kind of made sense. Like he's such a stickler for rules that he can't budge past, you know, they make it even a smaller difference, like 48 cents versus 44 cents. It was like an even smaller difference. But I'm like, okay, like we can buy that he's so into rules that he can't let go of this price difference. Um, But I like that about that. I didn't know if you had any thoughts on that. So specifically on that point, I'm probably going to offend anyone who actually likes the animation. I liked it. I did like the animation. But I love the book so much more. And I think it's one of those dilemmas of reading the book first and then having a picture in your mind and then going Uh and watching the animation which is completely fair if you watch the animation first and love that first but my problem was and I understand like Flannery is a recurring character and he's supposed to be a stickler for rules I felt because they spent like a whole like minute two minutes in a 10 minute long thing over it and I just felt that characterized him too much because of what we talked about Mm -hmm. earlier I feel like the real villain is a bureaucracy but I think they focus so much on him being a stickler for the rules and then the, um, I can't remember, the other guy who waltzes in, he immediately wal- like waltzes in all angry and stuff. And yeah, the book, like the first page of the book is they're about to end their heated discussion. Like they're 
RA mm-hmm. both red in the face. And I like that because it didn't like pin either one as being completely unreasonable. You don't know any of the backstory of like one com- like in the animation, the guy comes in and he's already just like all crotchety and angry that he's even having to pay. And mm-hmm. I actually had pictured it completely different. I pictured them like, and I know this is probably not set up well in the book, but in my mind, I had an image of, yeah, Flannery is like a stickler for the rules, but still kind of just like, just doing his job. Like one of those, oh, just tired service people. Like you just have to do it. Otherwise you get in trouble. So you want to keep your job. And then the other guy comes in and he's just like, good father. Like, I mean, it's said like he's not the great father because he's really stubborn and gets really angry about stuff. It like mentions yeah. his son being upset about it. But I like picture mm-hmm. him at least trying to have like a conversation being like, hey, like here's the money. And then that's when he's like, oh no, you owe more. And then it's just like, no, and then it just becomes he's frustrated because he starts quoting Wicca, like um, what is it um, encyclopedia? Encyclopedia, yeah, yeah. So obviously he's pretty learned, and I'm just like, okay, so maybe it's like a, I don't understand how to explain this to you any simpler, sir. That these are not yeah. pigs, and that's kind of how I right? picture it. Not just like a immediately blows up and is just like, oh, you're just an idiot. I don't like you. Blah blah blah. <laughs> I get that. And actually, that's something we didn't mention when we were talking about the story proper. So Morehouse, the guy who had ordered the guinea pigs, he was originally intending them as gifts for his son. And then and then when this whole conflict started, the initial like writing to the board, writing to the railway station, that didn't come from Flannery. That came from Morehouse. He was the one inquiring as to he wrote like a six page letter Uh, He quotes the encyclopedia, and I was like, okay, this shows them both as being sort of a little bit wacky, whereas they don't really have that kind of wackiness on both parts in the the film. So definitely agree with you there. And I guess Mm. the other thing that stuck out to me about the film, we talked about how they did the bureaucracy. It's sort of all set in song, but the film has everything rhyme. Did you pick up on the rhyming? Yes. I mean, it was fun, but it kind of got a little annoying. I don't know how you feel about the rhyming. The rhyming about, like, the rhyming just in general narration, after a point, I was like, okay, I'm done with the rhyming here. Same with their talking. Specifically, their dialogue annoyed me. But Mm -hmm. I will say that rhyming song about the bureaucracy, I need that for my ringtone because I love it. Like, See, it's just so, like, it, it's the right tempo. It's just great. Right. <laughs> it was a great tempo. It, like, they definitely were able to make, like, a nice montage over all the red tape and the stamping, you know, going from door to door, projects being passed from person to person. I liked all that. They could have, like, limited the rhyming to the song and just yeah. had them talk without rhyming. Um, I think it was probably just a common thing they did in a lot of those short films. But, um, but yeah, I, I thought the film was fun. I agree that if you've, love something as much as you do you've you know loved this story for so long and I think anyone who talks about their favorite book probably has a sort of a frosty attitude towards film adaptations in general I assume (laughs) this will probably be a theme going forward if I talk to anybody else about their favorites um but yeah being new to both the film and the book I like them both I like them for different reasons and I think both sort of capture like this sense of fun and this sense of whimsy. I did like the animation. I thought it was cute. It was kind of fun. Mm-hmm. And it, after watching the animation, I went back and reread the book because it had more character development, which is because these are characters you read about in other books and stuff too. 
And I liked mm-hmm. having a little bit of that background, but I also kind of liked my original image of it. I'm also the most like, and I know it's, it's so silly, but the one thing that I was so upset that wasn't a focus is specifically like one page towards the very end, literally taking shovels of guinea pigs and putting them into like carts and stuff. And they made a huge show, like part, like a good like five pages of this is him trying to figure out where to house these guinea pigs. And yeah, mm-hmm. like they, they definitely show that in between the bureaucracy stuff in there, but he's just so much, he doesn't seem calm if you only have watched the animation, but I just feel he felt so much more panicked in the book than he did in the movie. Like I literally had this like picture of poor Flannery in my mind, just basically on the verge of a mental breakdown. Also like they sent people there to be like, hey, um, you stop sending us the game pigs after they, uh, the guy moves away and he has to return them. Mm-hmm. And they didn't show any yeah. of that. They just showed, oh, he got rid of all of them by the time the guy showed up. But like, no, like he is mid shoveling these guinea pigs into the cart as he's telling this guy like, no, I'm not dealing with these. These are your problem now. <laughs> and I just right. wanted to see that poor man. I, I know it's a complete meltdown like he did in the book. Mm-hmm. I'm just happy, like, I'm happy in both adaptations. Like, normally in podcasts like this, I'm going to try to limit spoilers. But I think in a short story like this, I'm just going to give you the ending. It's still worth the read. But essentially, these guinea pigs multiply to the point of, you know, hundreds. In the in the film, they say a million, which is like, okay. <laughs> but it's hundreds and hundreds of guinea pigs. And then finally, Flannery sends them to the railway station and like fills their warehouse after struggling as to where to put them and then at the end he sort of thinks well it could be worse like those guinea pigs could have been elephants and Mm -hmm. you're just left with this sort of you know lighthearted, you know optimistic tone to it and he finally gotten some peace and you you're happy for him you didn't want this to be one of those things where he's crushed under the weight of the guinea pigs and then (laughs) dies there like you didn't want that to be the ending (laughs) So it was nice. It's a it's like a palate cleanser of a story. This whole story is just a nice, pleasing palate cleanser. Yeah, I just I love it. I and and I think the animation definitely does a better job of being just lighthearted, keep on with your day, um, mm-hmm. than the book's ending. <laughs> Cause like right. I said, like the book, it's yeah, like in the in the in the animation, everything's tied up in a perfect bow and it's like, yay, he's like pink. Um, everything is domestic, which is a statement from Pigs and Pigs is just everything is like a pet now to him. Mm-hmm. He's like, not, never dealing with this again. I've learned my lesson and just happy, done with his day, gonna go on, live his very, very happy life. In the book, it ends in the same way, saying the same statements. But like I said, this man is still shoveling guinea pigs out of this place. Yeah. <laughs> like, you don't know when this sure. is gonna end for him. <laughs> Right. You get the, you get the impression that it's going to end well, but it still hasn't quite ended yet. He's still in the thick of this. Um, But I'm glad he sent them right back to the bureaucracy because as we said, they're the real villains here. They can deal with skinny pics. That was actually super surprising to me because like the evil like overseer, but it's usually like a Scrooge-esque character where anyone looking at it can immediately spot because they draw them up as like these like crickly old people who just are trying to pinch pennies it was really surprising Mm -hmm. to me with this is this came out around the same time as those type of animations did but instead of having like a really bad overseer and who's just trying to pinch all the money actually showed the bureaucracy as like these really prim proper people rocking around just trying to do their job 
sending out all these papers and stuff. They weren't over villainizing it. it give, I felt like it was more of a realistic of we're not going to make it look as like a scary evil force, which right. personally I think needs to happen in more animations and like, oh, the person who's going to be terrible to me is this evil thing. It's like, no, sometimes it's just people doing their job <laughs> and they don't mean right? to. They're like, stuck in the system too. <laughs> it's it, not it's one crazy. person. So yeah. like, in the animation and in the story, so in the story specifically, they're all sort of passing the buck. Um, they they want to side with Flannery because it makes them, you know, a marginal amount of more money, 10 extra cents. And then finally, they resolve the whole thing by calling in a zoology professor <laughs> that gives you the genus and the species of the guinea pig. And I'm like, all right, a little unnecessary, but okay. Um, and it just it just shows you that, like, the enemy is just, like, putting your head down and doing your job without giving it any, like, proper thought and I think at the end you know in both adaptations it shows Flannery finally saying all right I'm gonna look past semantics like doing my job is one thing but I have to think it like broader here it just teaches you like okay you have to just look up and see the forest for the trees here like and that's why I think it's so like I honestly really like the lesson moral tie-in for this with that Mm -hmm. because like I said most of the time it's a person it's just like that that one bad egg argument is making this whole system crumble. But this isn't one specific person. Like you can't point to one person in the bureaucracy who's continuing this. It's so many people passing the buck, passing it over, being like, not my job, or let's contact this person so it's not their responsibility while they're still mm-hmm. technically doing their job. And I feel like right. that's just such a more realistic example of what actually happens. Yeah, absolutely. And they and they make it fun, you know, they make it just like a fun version of, you know, a big government wide problem <laughs> where no one's really focusing on the issue instead, you know, it's the same sort of process, but it's a cute, fun problem. And I, I just really enjoyed reading this. I know you had recommended it to me a while back, and I had like given it a quick look, but this time I really got into it and read it. And I was like, you know, this was totally worth the like 30 minutes, as you said, to put in <laughs> and even still like, I'd recommend this. I was I was skeptical at first. I was like, what is this? But I I would definitely recommend this. And it's just a nice way to spend the time, just enjoy some old-fashioned silliness. I think it was a great pick, Bailey. Thank you. Glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> I know it's going to make people happy. It's not going to make anyone sad. <laughs> right. And I feel like, I mean, I'm speaking for myself here, probably for a lot more people. People's favorite books tend to be sad emotionally deep sometimes just really trying reads and while those are satisfying they're they're downers so it was really great to start this whole project off with you know something fun and lighthearted. so I appreciate this <laughs> glad I could be help <laughs> all right I think we're gonna call it a day here thank you for listening to our first episode of your favorite book and my wholehearted thanks to Bailey for her time. Uh, Bailey, just thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you so much. Thank you all so much for listening. If you'd like to find out more, or if you'd like to be on an episode of your favorite book, find me at Vika Reads, V-I-K-A-R-E-A-D-S on Instagram and Twitter. I'd be happy to hear from you. And as always, don't judge a book by its cover, but do judge a book by its lover. See you next time.